Hi guys, welcome to the Katie Helper Show. On today's episode, we speak to very funny comedian Ted Alexandro. And you actually can see me and Ted Alexandro this weekend, February 10th. I'm doing a bunch of events this weekend, and depending on when you hear this episode, you can make them. So, February 8th at 6 p.m. at Star Bar, I'm interviewing Stefan Liebig, who is a member of parliament in Berlin for the left party, the left party, that's what it's called. Also, I'll be interviewing Jeff Halper, no relation, about Israel-Palestine and the one-state solution. That's at McNally Jackson's Soho location. And Sunday, I'll be appearing on a panel with Ted Alexandro, Lee Camp, Pam Brown, and Dennis Trainer at Dixon Place. And that will be a panel discussion following a show by Dennis Trainer. That's called Manifest Destiny's Child. So all of this is pinned to my Twitter, which is KT Helps, letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. Make sure you check out Ted Alexandro's website, tedalexandro.com. And the podcast he mentions, A Little Bit Me, is now available everywhere you find your podcasts. One thing I wanted to say, I forgot to say, is that we, A Star is Born, the, there's, everyone needs to look out for the line where Lady Gaga says, we don't know how to rhyme, but damn, we try. Have you seen <laughs> A Star is Born? I haven't. Okay. Uh, that's okay. Thumbs up or thumbs down? I think thumbs up. It's ridiculous how much I like it. Yeah, that's what my brother says. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, he cool. loved it. saw it twice. I need to see it a second time. And I was very skeptical, but I trust my brother. Yeah, you know? I do too. And I trust you. So. Yeah, yeah, thanks, yeah. Is he single? Yeah. Just kidding. He oh, is. cool. All right. <laughs> I think we just, uh, um, uh, Star is Born just created a Romance is Born. Okay. Um, okay, so uh, let's see. We are recording, right? Okay. Um, welcome, Ted. Thank you. Yeah, we, we saw you, uh, the last time I saw you was at a Bernie rally, I think. Mm. I ran into you that in sounds, Washington Square Park. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. The that was huge. Yeah, the huge one. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Must have been a while ago. That yeah, wasn't. It was, it was a while last ago. last week. Yeah, yeah right. It's a big one. Um, and uh, you were on one of our early episodes, but it's funny. I remember asking you about like if you want to do something, some comedians with Bernie thing, and at that point you were actually a Steinian. A Jill Stein mm. fan. I was, yeah, yeah. But you um, shifted right. Oh, I was all. <laughs> <laughs> they get you eventually, right? Yeah, exactly, Everyone yeah. has to go to the right. Um, yeah, I mean, you I reached I across did a, the aisle. Yeah, what moved right. you? What pushed you into the right wing? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know how it is. It's no, just course, like yeah. you kind of just try to stay as left as you can right. until you have to go right. Yeah. Yeah. So that I think that's probably what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, we're big Bernie people here. Well, sure. I'm a big Bernie person. I don't want to speak for Gabe. Gabe may be into Hillary, for all I know. I, I voted Stein. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. But <laughs> right, because we're in the safe state anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you know why? Because she visited us. Oh, that is you know? so funny. She yeah, made we had a her on the show. Effort. That is so funny, Gabe. Yes, yeah. it's true. You got to reward that. It's true. Yeah, they say you know people like Obama stayed at all the fish fries he went to. He was the last person there. Um, and then on the other hand, Hillary didn't go to Wisconsin. So, but Jill Stein came to the Katie Helper show and that's where it's yeah, at. Yeah. Brooklyn Commons. Yeah. Brooklyn Commons. And yeah. I came in skeptical. Yeah. But <laughs> she, she was nice, she right? Cha- she changed my mind. Yeah. 
You yeah. see, you see, guys, what that Katie Halper show appearance can get, get done for you. That's right. And then the three of us were on a uh, fundraiser for Bernie Stand Up Show. Yes, which was great too. Yeah. Where was that? Was yeah. that at the Bitter End? Yeah, or something? Bitter End. Yeah. yeah. And it it was right after a bird landed on him. Oh my gosh! Right. <laughs> or the the bird was yeah, there. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Right. He he yeah. laughed and everyone loved it and he went viral. Right. And I was uh I was actually touched by by how um open both of your sets were. Uh, in support where I was still kind of skeptical. Right. I was like, he's still a politician. Right. But uh, but Ted, actually, your bit was more around, you know, you're, you would give him your vote because of his years of service. Mm. And then I went back and I looked and I saw everything Bernie had done from like the mid 80s basically right. to now. Right. And how he's been on brand with the exact same message. Exactly. The whole time. Yeah. So he never, he never really shifted or like, you know, had to change his opinion on gay marriage or right. war. Yeah. And it seems that those seem like messages that now are like pretty basic, right. but holding those in the 80s yeah. was like, this guy is kind of alone on some of these yeah. things. Yeah. Even a year ago, some of those things, like with the fight for 15, that was unreasonable. Medicare right. for all, right. that was unreasonable. So um, let's talk about, because you know, I could be on, I could stay on Bernie all day. Um, that sounds like it was an innuendo, but it's not. Um, let's talk about your latest stand-up special, which was rated um, the, among the top ten specials by Vulture. Congratulations! Right. Congratulations! You. Yeah, you made an end of the year top ten list. You did. Yeah. A and, coveted. I yeah. was pretty excited about that. And did you know when you came on the Katie Halper show last time that it would result in? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had an idea, but you know, you my five. fingers yeah. were crossed. Yeah, they wrote a really great review about you. Yeah, yeah, I came in at. At number five, which was ahead of just ahead of Chris Rock, so that, <laughs> that nice was, to be uh, your Chris Rock adjacent. Yeah, are yeah. you are you guys on a on a group text where you could not yet? Like, hey, but yeah, I'm trying to get that started. Yeah. <laughs> I want to gloat because didn't he, he had a movie called Top Five, right? And yeah, ironically, I oh. kept him out of. Oh the top yeah, five. <laughs> it was the order was John Mulaney, Adam Sandler, Cat Williams, Ali Wong, Ted Alexandro for senior class. Good Earth. company. Yeah. Uh, Chris Rock, Tig Notaro, Cameron Esposito, Jim Gaffigan, and Hannah Gadsby. Gadsby. You, you haven't seen Nanette? Yeah, I have. Okay. Oh, oh yes. what made you say? Oh, I was saying Gadsby. Gadsby. I was trying to sound Australian. Ah, okay. Gadsby. Is that what they say? Gadsby. <laughs> I think Gadsby. I have no idea. Adelaide. I was just trying to Gadsby. Right. Adelaide. Gadsby. I don't so, know. yeah, it's it's an impressive list. Yeah. You know? yeah. I Congrats. was not expecting to be on it because uh yeah mine was put out independently through all things comedy mm -hmm. which is bill burr and al madrigal's company right wasn't on netflix or anything so yeah i thought kind of it was under the radar a little bit but then um jim gaffigan actually oh, who, who i tour with texted me that article I'm, i still have the award glow yeah I think. he does yeah. he i wish you guys could see him <laughs> by the way speaking of glow you um i didn't realize you've been doing comedy for 25 years 25 years did you start when you were like three not to blow smoke <laughs> up your ass but you look really young thank you I, no i was just out of college so i was like 23 24 oh my god yeah. so you are a lot younger looking than your age thank you i'm 49 yeah 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 i think ted could look easily 10 years younger yeah. I'm looking at Gabe for the official agreement. Sure, it's all the vitamins. It is, right? <laughs> Do people but, think you look younger? Yeah, no, gener you generally speaking, people think I'm somewhere in my 40s, right. but probably early, early or mid. Right. Yeah. What ethnicity are you? You're part Italian, well, right? Well, that is up for some debate. My father oh. just had the uh, <gasps> 23andMe really? thing done. Sure. We were raised thinking <laughs> <laughs> we were 100% uh, Italian on my father's side. Yeah. 
and then a mix of kind of a mutt of European on my mom's. Turns out, uh, my father's thing came back. Full we team. are we are we're six percent Jewish. Yes. Uh, we're twenty eight percent Greek. Wow. Twenty eight percent Italian. Uh, there's Iberian in there. There's all the, this whole mix. There was so, a lot going on. The huh. uh, Mediterranean Lake. Right. Yes. You know, because uh, that's just a whole bunch of port cities. That's right. right. That's yeah. right. So my family was, was busy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I thought you were going to say you were like, like American, Sam- I mean, it wasn't called that then, American Samoan or something really, or like Filipino or something, Japanese, but, but you're still not all Italian. I'm That's not, big, yeah, yeah, I'm not, yeah, what I thought I was. Does that change how you, do you feel no. like you've been lied to your whole life? No, I mean, it's it's more of a source of amusement right. amongst the family now, because I'm one of five, so there's a lot of kind of uh, texts and emails shaming my, my father and, like, and his ancestors. You took down your, like, Christopher Columbus um, <laughs> right. poster that decorates your bedroom. I'm finally, yeah, I'm finally ready to start calling it Indigenous yeah. People's Day. Right, right. <laughs> he was one of those guys that was like, Knights of Columbus. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can I have my day? <laughs> right, my guy. We're, we're great people. Ma- Macaroni, he invented the uh, radio or whatnot. Yeah. Absolutely. So do you come from a political family, by the way? Because you've been, like, left before it was... You were left before it was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, my, my parents are definitely lefties. You know, they're not terribly political. Uh, they keep up with it, but it wasn't like I was inundated with it right. growing up. I'd say what I was inundated with, like, my parents were pretty active in, like, church work and um, charity work uh-huh. and, uh, you know, just kind of like... Good Catholics. Yeah, do unto others type right. stuff. Um, yeah, so th- that message was definitely you know, kind of preached in the, and not just preached, but practiced. practiced. Yeah. Right. So I think that made an impression. Imagine if more Christians did that. We'd live in a great world. Well, yeah. it, it feels like the U S is all about prosperity gospel, mm-hmm. but you know, there was right. the other end of the other edge of that double edged sort of sword was right. the uh, liberation theology. Right. We love that. Yeah. You know, cause I was raised Catholic and, but my family was, there was a huge Salvadorian contingent at the churches that I went to and Archbishop Romero was a big deal you know, in that community before he was assassinated. So we were constantly um, uh, exposed to this other side of Catholicism that felt more like Robin Hoody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rather than a rich guy taking all the money from the hood. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hood. Interesting. That common word, hood. Um, So can we play one of your clips? Please. Okay. This is from my comedy special, Senior Class of Earth. This great, is, great right. title that seems even more appropriate uh, as as I've been watching the um, the climate change protests oh, yeah. and meetings all over the world. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And and recent studies telling us that it's it's going to be a wrap in like oh the next God. five years. I know. Right. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know. I mean, that kind of was in the air. Yeah. I recorded this about a year ago. I mean, it's obviously been in the air for a while, but yeah, it just fe- feels like it keeps accelerating. Oh, one quick thing. Uh, as important as the end of the world. Uh, what about your mom? Your dad's Italian and your mom? Did she My mom, test? yeah. I mean, if, what we were told anyway. Right, uh, the lie, the big a, lie. A mix of uh, German, Irish, French, English. Okay. Yeah. But that uh, hasn't been corroborated. Perc- no, I don't know what the percentages are. All right. So this is from um, People get your comedy people special, vote, which was recorded at the Comedy Cellar. So yep. let's give it a little whirl. So I don't know. I don't know. Is voting the answer? I doubt it. People get mad if you don't vote. They'll yell at you. How dare, how dare you? How? How dare you? People died so you can vote. Yeah, and people are going to die because you vote. <laughs> Enjoy your sticker. <laughs> 
right? It's just, it's so disheartening. That's never discussed. It's never discussed. Continuous murder. We're always just electing the next murderer in chief. Sometimes we feel good about it, right? Sometimes we feel progressive. We had a black murderer in chief. Oh, that so, felt so progressive. And we almost had a woman murdering around the globe. Oh. Right? Breaking the glass ceiling and then the shards of glass falling, murdering people. Then the ex-presidents, once they're out of office, right? They do a 180, they, they rebrand. Obama's going windsurfing with billionaires. George W. Bush is a painter all of a sudden. Oh, right? How the fuck did that, George W. Bush? Right, he's like Mr. Magoo with a paintbrush all of a sudden. <laughs> taking selfies with Michelle Obama and Ellen. He's so likable and fun, right? He did a reverse Hitler. Hitler was a painter, and then he murdered a lot of people. <laughs> they said, never forget, George. We, we didn't forget. Oh, that was great. So It's funny. So, no, don't... Everybody tells you to vote. You got to vote. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and one thing, another... What I think about that is that, okay, so let's say the climate change. They're telling us that we've got five five years left, something like that, before the sixth mass extinction. Well, so now everything is just horse race politics until 2020 right. to, in, to get in a moderate who's going to incrementally change things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so right, yeah. really, uh, if climate change is a real thing, all electoral politics at this point is a sham because there's no way that our slow-moving democracy could affect the changes right. needed to radically turn uh, the ship Unless yeah. we get in, you know who, I think, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> he, I saw him at the Sanders Institute gathering thing, and he talks about climate all, I mean, he always has kind of, but he. I, I think you're seeing a shift in how much people care about it because everything else is kind of, le I mean, all the other stuff is going to be mo a moot point when we mm -hmm. are not able to yeah. survive. I mean, it's not that the world is going to end in six years, I mean, five years, right? It's right. just going to be irreparable damage. Like, it's going to be on that fast track. Yeah. Like yeah. TPP? Yeah. Like what they want a TPP to be? But I just see that that this sort of idea that if, they, if they're telling us that 200 species are getting extinct, you know, every day or every week, which could be hyperbole, but then if we're waiting four years, then what is that 200 multiplied by right. weeks? How many animals right. are out the window because we're waiting to patiently vote in the right people? Right, yeah. Yeah, and I'm always intrigued by that huge number of people who don't vote and and and, and i would love uh, like uh, a national discourse with those people about That's not shaming. why they why they don't yeah yeah right. cuz i'm sure people have some people just can't be bothered and, right. or think it's a sham or whatever but i'm sure there's a lot of different reasons as to why people don't vote and a lot of them are legit you know i mean i voted this past time but you know, you you always have that kind of sense, like, does this even matter? Right. And like in a larger context of, you know, having five years or whatever it's going to be. Right. Like, what are we, what are we doing? You know. Yeah, and and again, like I vote every time. I walk down to my yeah. to my school down the street, and I I vote. However, uh, I do feel like there's this smug sense of mm -hmm. superiority that most people get when they put the little I voted sticker on right. and take a photo for Instagram. As though now I've done my job right. and I don't need to be bothered mm -hmm. anymore. That's the extent of your participation. <laughs> yeah. Right. So so then there's that sort of hollowness of what voting 
means. It's just performative. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, and when, when you look back at uh, 2000, the elections in 2000, mm-hmm. you have 90,000 votes that were taken off the, that were disqualified in Florida, which changed the whole trajectory of the country. You know, we could have had Al Gore then, but... Right. It, instead, we but he had got, that movie career to work on. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Instead, we got the uh, invasion of Afghanistan, nine eleven. You know, and the Iraq continuing yeah. uh, issues in Iraq. So. Yeah, and it's also. I mean, I also get how it's like. Well, my one vote won't make a difference. So right. there's that too. You could believe in electoral politics and the significance of it, but mm-hmm. also be like, I have a lot of like tweets that I I've been I'm behind on <laughs> um, priorities yeah exactly yeah well I, I voted for Jill Stein the last two elections and part of it was was that reason of of assuming that New right. York was going to go the way it did yeah you know so like it wasn't like I felt as though I was jeopardizing New York going to Trump right. or anything like that you know um, and I guess the second time with Obama I kind of felt um, you know, like my politics had shifted left and I felt somewhat betrayed and I guess right. disenchanted. And I also knew that he was right, probably going to win. So you know? what what made you, before your, your shift right to Bernie Sanders, just kidding, <laughs> what made you shift left and get disenchanted with Obama? Uh, I guess my participation in Occupy that, Wall right. Street. Um, yeah, because I was left like without kind of realizing it um, prior to that. Mm-hmm. That kind of put my, I guess... Uh, philosophies or my thoughts on the world a lot of them into practice like just seeing the things that were going on and the things that people were talking about and conversations that were kind of absent from mainstream media um so it it did two things it it kind of galvanized me and it kind of set me on a path of maybe some like self-education that i needed to do right so it was useful and why did you get involved in that in the first place like occupy wall street what drew you to it you know, I just read an article uh, maybe two days into it, mm. uh, and I was intrigued. Um, had no connection prior, but then just went down to Zuccotti Park, having read an article, I think, in the Times, and uh, went down on the 19th of September and just kept going back. Mm. Um, and it kept growing, and more people kept coming, and uh, there were actually a lot of comedians, you know, so you would see friends you know, oh. from the comedy community down there. Um, Which, yeah, it was just really, it was invigorating. Yeah. Yeah. I went down a couple times, saw, uh, saw Jesse Jackson walking through the park oh, nice. once. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you witness any violence or like crackdown or? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was there the time, um, when they evicted the park, not the, the last time, but, uh, they had put up some barricades and then people forcibly took them down and then the cops came in and were kind of cracking heads i saw this kid with like a <gasps> skull just kind of oh like God. like blood going down his face yeah but that was the most extreme thing i saw i actually i had one one time uh i was there after a gig like i had this gig that was a rare gig that i had to put on a suit and tie for wow and so maybe i finished that around 10 and i went to the park to meet some friends right afterwards um, and they were uh, evicting people from the park, kind of doing a sweep. Uh, I think this was after, maybe after they had evicted the park the first time, but people had come back in. So this cop, um, they had told us to cross the street and go south down Broadway. So people started to do that. But then all of a sudden, the cops just like bum rushed us, and I got like a baton in the back. Oh my God. Like a really forceful baton in my back as I was like obeying their orders. So that was like uh, like a jarring kind of, you know, I mean, I guess it, in a way it was like uh, 
realizing the way a lot of people are treated by the cops all the time. Right. Uh, and I, you're a white guy wearing a suit. Right. So imagine. I'm a, I'm a Greek, Iberian Jew. Right. Little, right. They probably <laughs> That's knew. what they, they told. That was you. the message yeah, that they, they sent you. you. Right. Yeah. You're, you think you're, you're white, but hold up. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. They were. They had like a. They had, they had the results the before dar. my father. Exactly. <laughs> right. They had the, the whatever dar. Um, what was your self-education that you went through? Is there a Ted Alexandro reading list? <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, you know it's been it's been so many things that it's hard to uh, it's hard to pinpoint just one. I mean, everything from James Baldwin to uh, Chris Hedges, mm. uh, Angela Davis, um, all these kinds of some of some of whom I actually interacted with at Zuccotti Park. Oh, wow. Sure, um, Chris Hedges came to my trial. I was one of the. Uh, they called us the Duarte Eight because uh, Duarte Circle. Uh, that was maybe, uh, my gosh, I think it was December seventeenth. It was the two month anniversary of when Occupy had been evicted, and they were trying to claim this un this unused space down on Canal Street uh, and Sixth Avenue. Um, so they were trying to like reinvigorate Occupy there. Uh, so. A whole bunch of people, but the space was fenced off, you know, and locked. So people were jumping over the fence. Yeah, that changes things. Yeah, you're like, but there were barriers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> was, yeah. So um, eight of us didn't accept like their uh, plea bargain or ACD or whatever it's called. We went to trial. Uh, so I wound up getting community service. Oh, wow. for that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't remember what, what your question was leading well, to that, but was Giddy? Who was your lawyer? Do you remember your lawyer's name? Paul. Okay, no, I didn't know if it was Gideon. Um, Gideon was on the case, but he wasn't oh, my. He wasn't yeah. my. Yeah, Gideon Oliver. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you know? Oh, it's funny you bring that up though, because Gideon met his wife, Molly Neffel. Oh, they're an Aki romance. Yeah, at uh, my at my trial. Oh, How really? about that? And he, that's what you asked uh, about courthouse romances. Yeah. Chris Hedges. How was fun. At our trial, because uh, he was friends with Bishop George Packard, who was kind of the, um, you know, like the senior most person who had been arrested he he was like close to 80 I oh think. my gosh yeah. and he went over the fence and hedges was friends with him so he came He's out in good so, shape yeah yeah very inspiring guy yeah. yeah oh so did like chris hedges officiate their wedding that would have been good i don't know that's possible actually i think it was jesse myerson i think i saw the is that right of it. i think yeah, so yeah, yeah. uh ted i've followed you on facebook and uh just the, the places that you've traveled you travel both nationally and on tour with jim gaffigan but then internationally yes and i was wondering like what uh what how it's changed your view having traveled all over the world like recently you just came back from greece yeah oh my god your without home realizing country. jesus <laughs> right. if you had right. known you, you would have people kept asking me and my wife are you are you greek and uh i kept saying no italian and they were, pro- they were probably like we have greek dar the guy's lying and a self-loathing greek <laughs> that's right yeah that's right uh, don't I have to go it. back yeah yeah exactly. you're, you're, you're back. ashamed um yeah i think what the travel has done, and I think what travel has done for me, generally speaking, like with comedy, is it just made, literally made my world broader, but it just, um, again, it, it does two things. It, it kind of educates you on whatever the culture is locally of where you are. Like on this recent run, we did Athens, Cologne, Berlin, and Istanbul. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so you, you get to experience these places, but then you also learn, like as a comedian, that there is this kind of universal shared experience and frame of reference, uh, especially kind of 
I don't know if it goes both ways because I think they tend to know a lot more about yeah. American pop culture and, and politics and everything than vice versa. Um, but it is an opportunity for you to kind of start to learn uh, in the other direction. So, yeah, it, it it's kind of invigorating. Like when you do a set in Athens or Istanbul and you kind of go in with a little bit of trepidation about whether or not certain nuances of language are going to translate. Right. Or whatever. But then it's, you know, five minutes into your set, you wouldn't even know that you were anywhere. You know, you could be somewhere in the States for, right. you know. Just How like, much of it is an inter- like an American audience or you just think that, that people they're really good at English. Yeah, yeah. These last four that we did, maybe there was a small percentage oh, of Americans, yeah. but it was majority just locals. Their English is really good. Yeah. So the, especially the people who buy tickets for our shows, right. you know, yeah, they right, tend right, to right. be self-selecting. Fluent. They're not yeah. Yeah. Um, so now you know you're transcultural. That's right. Yeah. That's how I identify. Do you when you're there, do you uh, in different places do you get to talk about the local politics with people do you do they you know share with you what's happening like on the ground at that moment yes yeah yeah, for sure so you get a sense of like you know in in turkey like with erdogan and stuff and also where we're dealing with people in the arts so you get you get more of a a left kind of perspective which is what i would want anyway um so yeah but they also tell you like don't talk about it on stage you know like because um you know it could it was we were part of the Istanbul Comedy Festival. Oh wow! So like you don't want to jeopardize like their license or right. whatever, you know? Because you mean? won't stay behind and deal with it. That's but right. They will. That's right. They're from there, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a good thing you didn't know you were Greek then, or else you could have like committed a you know <laughs> political assassination against your enemies. That's true. That's true. I, I don't know if you guys have seen. There's like in in uh, Astoria, obviously Greek neighborhood. I saw which is where I live appropriately. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. You don't know why you, you were, were like, drawn to everyone, it. I know everyone knew you were Greek except for you, right? <laughs> You would I just sing ass- like the Greek national anthem. You had blue and white. Yeah. You only wore blue and white. I just right? assumed it. Yeah. <laughs> it had nothing to do with your name or anything. I was like, I just saw you and I was like, that's a Greek man. Um, a lot of people do. Sorry, what were we just saying? I forgot. Well, we were talking about uh, going to Turkey and... Political sat. Oh, oh yeah, Astoria. Yeah. Yes. I've seen like, fuck the Greeks, like um, graffiti in Astoria. I mean, sorry, fuck the Turks. The Turks, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, there's bad blood. My great-grandfather from Greece, he would call, he would just call people Turks all the time. Oh that my was God, his... as a diss? Yeah. That yeah. is so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The goddamn so, Turk. Yeah, it's so, it's adorable to hear it really like is. old world yeah. uh, sort of prejudices. Genocide references. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. It really warms the, warms the belly. It's funny, like those kind of beefs always seem <laughs> silly when they're not yours. Right. right. But now that you know, but now you're like <laughs> now super I, upset about that. Now I get it. You're yeah. going to be like a, an Armenian genocide uh, historian now because of the shared. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and you also, uh-huh. you went to South Africa at one point. That's right. I went with uh, Giannis Papas, yeah. who's a great uh, New York-based comedian oh. of Greek heritage. Oh, my. I was going to say. So, you're like, for some reason, I only like hanging out with him and... Um, I don't know how we got Maturing together. Movies. Yeah. That is so... You're like, we were sitting there eating Spanikopida. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we did... Uh, because Giannis uh, does two characters that kind of blew up through like YouTube videos. He does uh, Morisa, who is uh, like, I guess, what was it? Like she a Dominican would be tr- trans. Uh, transgender, trans- Puerto Rican, Puerto from Rican, the Bronx. From the Bronx, right. From the Lower East Side. From the Lower East Side, yeah. yes. Um, so Mor- uh, Morisa is one of Giannis's characters. Uh, you can find the videos on YouTube. And then uh, he does Mr. 
Panos, who's That's like right. an older Greek man who does a lot of the things that you were talking about. Like he hates the Turks right. and, you know, just has like that kind of entrenched older Greek point of view. Yeah, he's always, uh, he's rubbing prayer beads. I've sent these videos to my mom. <laughs> he's rubbing prayer beads and like smoking and drinking coffee. Yes. And he's just like, you got to put lemon on everything. That's the right. Greek way. Ooh, I, just, I do and like that. I, yeah, I love, I love Panos. Whenever I meet like people from uh, Greece, I'm like, I send them Mr. Panos clips. Yes. Like, so funny. So, so the reason we went over to uh to johannesburg was that there's a it's pretty sizable greek population there i think like what? 25 30,000 people so when his videos blew up as mr panos he was getting all these inquiries like can you come here can you come there so i went with him and uh i opened up and then he did a set as himself as Giannis, and then he did a third portion of the show where i interviewed him as mr panos oh nice so it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Oh, and cool. that must have been like, I don't know, like 3,000 Greek people wow. in, in Johannesburg. So year. he is the the Greek diaspora's um, Russell Peters. That's right. <laughs> That's like right. a little Sarah Jones <laughs> yeah. style, right? Yeah. yeah. That's cool. So what was your experience like going to Johannesburg? And It, it was the same kind of thing. You know, I, I had never been, so, uh, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Now, a lot of times, too, when you go to these countries, you're getting like the very best tour of like oh, what they right. want to show you. Right. Um, so you're seeing it through a certain lens, you know, like I did um, the Jordan, I'm on Jordan comedy festival oh, yeah. too. So that was amazing. But you're a lot of times you're getting like the red carpet rolled right. out for you. They're not um, like, here's a lovely favela. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, but still, yeah, you do get a, you do get a, a pretty good sense. Even if you're there for, you know, four or five days, you get a pretty good sense of, uh, of the area and, the dynamics of the city and the and the you know also the um, different sections the inequality yeah. of like where the poor areas are yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It's funny that you brought up Occupy Wall Street because I don't know why I what year did that start I don't know, I didn't get involved in it I think I was really trapped into like defending Obama thing yeah. which I really regret and I get why it happened because there was so much racism yeah um but I didn't do a good job at all of like holding. I mean, not that I was going to influence him, but I think a lot of us on the left didn't do a very good job of support, like responding to the vitriolic racism that was hurled at him and also trying to push him left. Right, right. Um, I remember Keith Ellison saying at Netroots Nation, he was like, when we can walk with the president, we have to walk with him. And when we have to walk ahead of him, we have to walk ahead of him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't really get involved in Occupy. Uh, it started in uh, September... 2011. So, nope. I was going to say May I was in college. I was graduating in 03. So, there goes that. My mom's agent, Frances Gold, is um, has who has purple hair. There's a famous thing of her, like, daring cops to punch her. Oh, wow. Which they didn't. Oh, yeah. I, how Is she an older woman? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, very, I think very, I saw yeah, her. She's like, yeah. Um, but it's funny. I interviewed Naomi Klein late, uh, recently because I at the Sanders Institute Gathering, and she said something about how much... I said how much the Bernie campaign, I think, exposed people's politics and showed, highlighted this riff. Um, and she said, yeah, both the Sanders campaign and the Occupy Wall Street movement. Um, and she said that there are people who are liberal and more centrist who were that way because they really didn't think our left ideas were viable. Like they just wouldn't, like they were great ideas, but they wouldn't um, get support. Mm -hmm. And then once they saw things like Medicare for All picking up support, they were like, great, I'm a leftist now. Like, right. I'm no longer centrist. Then there were people 
who were pretending it was for pragmatic reasons. Mm -hmm. And then once these things became more popular, they stayed there Mm. because they didn't really actually support them. Believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And they were able to hide before. Yeah. Because it didn't seem possible. Right. Right. Yeah, it is. It's interesting how people like especially politicians can adopt this language and and get elected, you know, but yeah, you wonder how much things are even possible, you know, and especially now with the clock ticking on all these things. Right. It's such a weird time and even more so with a backdrop of Trump as president. Right. No, I think it's it's there's like very dangerous conventional wisdom that tells you that just certain things are not doable until they are. Yeah. And someone just does them. Yeah, yeah, that's why the audacity of someone like uh, Ocasio Cortez yeah. is is refreshing, you know, for yeah. what for whatever it accomplishes, or for, she's really not uh, mincing words or backing down. No. So it's it's really nice to see. One of the coolest things that I grew up in D.C. and I would constantly be surrounded by well-intentioned, you know, good people in the Democratic Party who would just bring, I would see their tote bags that said like Goldman Sachs on them or Pfizer (laughs) or whatever because they had just come from a big pharma event or like even like a cigarette company event and they would would be wearing the hats and all the swag that you get at these like nightmare um, meetings. (laughs) And, but it it was so part of the water that they didn't notice that it was, that they were- Offensive. Yeah, that they were somehow- um, corrupted by what was compromised right. yeah. because everybody was doing it. And so one of the coolest things that Cortez has done was uh, tweeting that she'd been to this um, inc- incumbent uh, freshman Congress event right. at the Harvard sort of, I can't remember which one it was, but it was like the Leadership Academy or mm-hmm. some nonsense. Yeah. And uh, it was like five, and she goes, there were no labor leaders here, right. just corporate leaders like oh, Goldman wow. Sachs. And she's like, this is what the problem is, is that all of us are being uh, what they consider our orientation is to meet with these like heads of industry and not right. with labor. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. and, and all she's done is sort of, she's just live tweeting the, oh, yeah. her experience, uh, seeing these, all of these things with brand new eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's really great. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. yeah. And, and no matter what that accomplishes, right. It is like she's opening the door exactly. so that like those of us who voted for her or, or anyone for that matter is seeing what some of the, the problems are. And the possibilities, right? That's, true, that's, yeah. that's a big thing. Sometimes people will be like, oh, Medicare for all is not going to pass under Trump. It's like, yeah, but we're shifting the discourse and the ideas of what's possible. So when Trump isn't in office, we've laid the groundwork. And that idea is now palatable and even mm-hmm. politi- and not supporting it is politically toxic for Democrats. And we've seen right. that, right? All these people who never would have been for Medicare for All before all of a sudden are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, the idea of elect- electoral politics can be very limiting and or the conventional wisdom within it, despite how much Gabe just wants to talk about electoral politics and Bernie and Hillary all day. All day. Being sarcastic. <laughs> um, well, also, it's, it's good that it, it probably scares uh, people in the system who fancy themselves progressive yeah. and then someone like her comes along and they have to kind of reassess like, oh, wow, what have I just kind of been turning a blind eye towards? Right. You know? right. And it also changes it so that you then come to the table with the whole comp- political compromise is shifted left mm-hmm. because you can point to your like, look, I would love to, you know, I know you Republican want this, but my base wants this. And it's that much more the left, which right. drags the whole thing that much more to the left. Right. Um, and what about traveling around the country? Has that 
uh, opened your eyes to... It has. I mean, the cool thing things. now about uh, opening for Jim Gaffigan is that I'm playing these enormous arenas. Like, we just played uh, the Vivint Smart Home Arena, which is where the Utah Jazz play basketball. Utah. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, you know, 14,000 oh people gosh. or so that we're playing in front sure. of. So, I mean, like, when I'm playing comedy clubs, it's, you know, 200 people, right. whatever it is. So... So that's what's cool about touring with Jim. Uh, but you also, you know, you get to, even though we're there for maybe a night or two sometimes, uh, you get to kind of sample the local foods. Maybe yeah. Jim and I will go to a museum because he's pretty big on, like, even if we have four hours there, he's like, let's do something yeah. so that we get a sense of where we are, you know. So that's kind of been cool. Have you had any cultural, linguistic, like I meant to ask before, internationally or or nationally, like things that didn't translate, either literally translate because of a language thing, like an expression that people didn't get or Well, you know what's like funny is when I did Amman, Jordan, and I uh, there was several countries we did in the Middle East, Kuwait, uh, we were even in Cairo and uh, Alexandria in Egypt. Um, I had this joke at the time about Obama that not only was he the first black president, but it's the end of white presidents forever, because you know what they say. Oh yeah, once you. Yeah, and I yeah. just and I just would leave right. it there. I never actually right, right, said right. once you go black. And they're like, and I. They're like, what do you say? No, they got it. They oh, got interesting. it. Yeah, yeah. So that was like the one time where I was really like expecting, like, all right, I'm going to try this joke once. It's probably not going to work. Probably but, dead silence. But yeah. yeah. But as soon as I said, you know what they say, the room erupted. Wow. And I think the first time was in Cairo. And I was like, wow, you know, like, again, like that frame of reference or just jargon or, right. you know, phrases that they that they got all of them. Yeah. 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 So I can't, I can't even think of an example. I'm sure there must have been a couple. But yeah, for the most part. They, they got everything. It's funny. I went to Mexico City and I did stand up there. And what, what I noticed, though, was like we brought up this sort of self-selecting, you know, uh, demographic of people that are going to come and see stand up in the first place. Right. And then uh, all of the Mexicans in Mexico City who were out there were like Mexican hipsters. So they they yes. were all watching Netflix anyway. And their right. Netflix there is better than it is here. Because uh. oh, wow. they, they play American classics on Netflix there. And we, we just have whatever our... Right. Nonsense. And you did this in English or in Spanish? I did it in up? I did it in English, but they all watch. They were all watching The Walking Dead at the time, right? So it didn't matter. Like the punchlines were still in the zeitgeist. You could yeah. just say uh, Heisenberg for Breaking Bad, and right. they're like, "Yeah, right, like, right, right." Not the chem. They're not like, "Yeah, chemistry principles." Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely not that. Right. But they, but are like for The Walking Dead. You know, you just say Carl like the way that the main guy does, like Carl, and they're like, "Oh, hey, zombies." Right. Right, right. They loved it. Right. Chevette, yeah. The, ca- the cast of Walking Dead came to our show wow. in uh, I can't I can't remember which city it was. Maybe Atlanta. Do, do maybe they, I was gonna say, do they shoot there? Yeah, because I yeah. think it was Atlanta. Like it must have been mm. thirty of them. Wow, that's so yeah. cool. As zombies, did they come in zombies? They weren't in zombie <laughs> gear, yeah. but uh, they felt they looked like a rock band because they they all dressed so stylish. Right. And, yeah. They, it felt like you were hanging out with a rock and roll band. That's cool. Did they hang out with you all backstage? Yeah, you know, for maybe twenty minutes or something. That's um, yeah, because I think Jim had done a movie with uh, someone uh, in the cast or something, so they had stayed in touch. So that's how it came about. But yeah, they were all really, really cool. So how do, like, what about your comedy trajectory? You went from being, was there a moment when you feel like you really shifted like levels, not in talent per se, but in terms of the audience size or how much you were taken seriously or how well known you were? 
Um, my trajectory has been pretty like slow and steady, mm. you know, uh, like there have been like kind of moments that, uh, moments of arrival, like the, my first TV set with Conan or, uh, first time I did Letterman, uh, that were kind of affirming mm. that you felt like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm on the right track or whatever. But yeah, I haven't had like something that like overnight I was, right. you know, uh, known by, millions of people although your louis thing your louis ck um monologue that went yeah it didn't change i mean but it it went viral right yeah yeah surprising that was surprising yeah um i i put out a set recently uh it's on youtube and that was kind of um dealing with louis ck coming back to the comedy cellar it was also talking about cosby and me too and that that whole context um and i was a little bit ambivalent about whether or not to put it out um, so to speak Sorry. What's that? So to speak. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, if only he had been worried about that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And and also actually, uh, that was at the time of the Kavanaugh hearings too. Right. So it was like a very heightened sense of all those types of issues. Uh, so then I I decided, all right, let me put it out. It was a set that I did talking about Louis, and it also it was at the Comedy Cellar, which kind of added another layer. Because I was I was talking about him at the club that he that that he's so closely identified with and who kind of welcomed him back with open arms, so I kind of uh, in the set I talked about like some of the, you know some of the issues with that. Did that, you feel like, and Tim? I mean, did you have an inner voice that was kind of telling you not to do it? Like you get into trouble, it would be awkward. No, um, you know, it, it's. It's interesting, too, because I used to open for Louie. I, I opened for him for a, about six months uh, on tour. So we were, you know, before I opened for Jim, I, I was touring with Louie, like, you know, this was even probably before Occupy Wall Street, actually. Did uh, he make you go to museums with him before shows? <laughs> he did not. Wouldn't that have been great if that had been his harassment, like making women go to museums with him? Right, if only. Yeah. Um, so I, I had that other dynamic right. too that I had history with him you know we were friends in, in quotes in that we you know we kind of traveled intimately together around the country um, so I didn't have any misgivings about doing the material the only thing that concerned me was that I was kind of hitting the target you know that I was that it was funny oh uh, I see right yeah that I didn't that, I didn't that was your only concern yeah yeah I didn't I didn't care about what would happen to me at the cellar or uh you know like what louis would think or anything like that i i knew that if i could execute it that it that you know that i could say the things i wanted to say that in a funny way yeah that was all i was concerned about i didn't want it to be preachy or just like you know like getting applause breaks or whatever i wanted it to clapter you didn't want the clap yeah yeah which some people still thought it was anyway but for me (laughs) it accomplished what i wanted to do that's it that's like i have to admit i'll feel pressure about things especially if i'm friends with someone Mm -hmm. like i don't want to rock the boat or i feel guilty about it or i don't i don't want to face confrontation um that's impressive that you didn't really feel no, I didn't because I felt like it was so hypocritical yeah, that right. here's this guy whose brand was first off like um, that he was kind of the truth teller right. and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden when these things came to light that everybody was so kind of hands off and quiet about right. it and not like really discussing the reality of the things that he did and how long he denied them and all this right. kind of stuff. So. To me, it was like this double standard of like, oh, this oh, guy right. who was like the torchbearer for, you know, speaking the truth. Yeah. Now we're all just going to be radio silence on, right. on the right. things that he did. He was a torchbearer being like saying inconvenient things, right? Being yeah. like in your face and not being polite about it. 
Right. I mean, he so. did that that uh, famous bit about how men are the gravest danger to right. the safety of women. Right. So, you know, all these types of things. Yeah. So I did. And I mentioned that in the set, too. Yeah. Just the irony of of that. I read an interview with you because I was reading the um, Vulture review and they linked to an interview they did with you and they asked you about that Louis C.K. set and about whether you can enjoy things like whether you're able to separate art for art's sake right. or art from biography. Right. And you said you weren't. No, no. I mean, you know, once somebody has done something of that nature, it's going to color the right. the the prisms through which I am hearing everything they say. You know, like I can't, I can't enjoy Lenny Riefenstahl anymore now right. that I know the, the <laughs> right. Nazi politics. Just exactly. Yeah, yeah you know, because you trust somebody's point of view. Right. That's the biggest thing. Their perspective. When, yeah, when somebody's the, yeah. standing in front of a room with a microphone, it's you know, it's because you trust them. If you don't trust them, it's like you're either going to walk out or tune them out. You know, it's like, I, and you're certainly not going to laugh at them. Do you, you think know? it's unique to comedy? Like, is it different for, Nanette deals with this too, but like, I don't, I feel like with like Ezra Pound, who was, he was also mentally ill towards mm -hmm. the end, so it's a little easier to forgive, but he became like a fascist Nazi sym sympathizer. But I still think that poem about the Paris Metro is like really beautiful, but mm -hmm. I think part of the reason I can do that is because he has been condemned. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like if the public does the work, to use that really annoying expression, <laughs> it's easier because right. I don't feel complicit in, I mean, yeah, I don't feel complicit in letting them off the hook. Right, right. Yeah, I'm not an absolutist yeah, about yeah. like, you know, somebody's, you know, I'm done with them forever right. and they're damned. Right. Um, no, but I, but I also kind of need to see some sort of, um, you know, uh, acknowledgement, right. some genuine acknowledgement of, of what yeah. has transpired. Like a redemption. Right. Yeah, of, you know, of course. You know, uh, like if Louis had gone up and been like, so I got in a bunch of trouble recently right. and uh, I did these, you know, I masturbated on people. Right. Yeah. And uh, let's, you know, and this is how it's affected them and right. me and... Right. Yeah, and also you you kind of take your cue from the women right. that he did these things with, and if you get a sense that oh, like even maybe behind the scenes he made peace with them and they are right. forgiving him, if that's the tone, but that you didn't see that at all right. from the women. They were like, no, you know this, you know they were still pretty much like scarred or their careers or personally they were damaged by him. I wonder how much it is. I feel like a Roman Polanski film is different from stand up because it, what you're saying about perspective, it's. And voice. Mm -hmm. It's so much more direct when you're watching when you're watching a person speak as themselves, more yeah. or less, versus a movie that's a creation of someone else. I don't know. Just, no, that's true. And it, it is different for everyone. But I think like I, I have a harder time now watching even like Woody Allen or yeah. Roman Polanski. Yeah. You know, it's like there's so many other people out there. Of Why do I right, need right, to right. waste my time with this person? You're like, now I find Rosemary's Baby disturbing when I used to love it as a feel-good family film. Yeah, yeah. Because again, like when you <laughs> when you watch those things at that time, you're watching it through through one lens. Sure, you don't, you right. don't know any of that. Yeah. But now we do. So even like Louis' old stuff, it's like you feel a sense of betrayal. Right. Like, even yeah, if was... he hadn't done that stuff yet. Right. He's the person who would. 
Well, okay. he's, uh, I mean, and it's so interesting because backward looking at everything in the past, it, it's almost like that Kaiser Soze moment in The Usual Suspects. Oh, yeah, that's really funny. Where you're right. connecting all the dots because every one of his old interviews is like, and then I masturbated. <laughs> right. On something. You said, and then I didn't yes. want to buy the saxophone. Yeah. Right, like, like you said about leaving clues. You talked about <laughs> in your set about oh. uh, criminals leave clues. Yes. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, I said, why don't we let Louis get back to telling jokes about how men are the gravest danger to women why don't we let cosby get back to being uh dr huxtable a a gynecologist with access to (laughs) vaginas and drugs right yeah yeah um so they do leave clues i suppose yeah just like you were leaving clues with your hellenic origin you know (laughs) it was living in historia yeah anyone who was paying attention and what is this podcast going to be it's going to be me it's going to be me just yeah talking about uh everything like with guests yeah. and occasionally with guests uh occasionally with other comedians yeah. occasionally with family members nice um but primarily me yeah, just, just ted untethered that's yeah it. a ted talk is <laughs> it gonna right. be called ted talk it's not that's one thing we're we're decided on you gotta mean your brother on the same episode that's true that's true um, um don't worry i'm not really harassing that would be really awkward if i with people read in the get involved yeah get involved yeah why not um and what else? The Let's other see. thing is yeah. uh, touring with Jim Gaffigan all through 2019. So, uh, yeah, if you check out my, my schedules on tedalexandro.com, and it's going to be the same as jimgaffigan.com because, yeah, we're touring together. Nice. So. And, and what about um, your online present? Where else? Like do you Twitter or Facebook? Or yeah, Instagram yeah, or? all that. All that. Um, at Ted Alexandro. Nice. Um, yeah, and I feel I would feel remiss if I didn't mention that I that I uh, just celebrated my first wedding anniversary. My wife and nice. I got married uh, a year ago, so that's a, that's been a big change as well. And I actually thought when you were saying you were breaking the news, I'm not kidding. I thought you were going to say you guys were pregnant. I don't know why. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we're working in that direction, nice. so maybe maybe you're psychically breaking news. Oh yeah, right. I was like, and if I had met you earlier, well, I had. It would be funny. I, I didn't get a sense that you were Greek, but to be on brand, I should have said that I always knew that. <laughs> There's one thing I want, Ted. I yeah. need this. Uh, it's going to be just mini reviews of every museum that you attend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Five-minute reviews? Yeah. Right. Is that too long? Just That's quick. Possible. Just whatever, man. You yeah. can put them on Twitter. You can live tweet the review. It could just be a, a little mini video, maybe on the pod. That's a good idea. You know? That's a good idea. Yo, to elevate the culture. Yeah, you yeah. Know? For sure, man. Raise Around the up. country. Yeah. Has well, and one segment I am doing is... Uh, I'm grading grading my marriage from week to week. <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. Just kind of giving myself and us as a whole. Like, now, as a former teacher, I'm sure the rubric is going to look crisp. <laughs> right. It's going to be up to oh yeah, up we didn't even talk no about child behind standards. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. yeah you, how long were you a teacher for? I was a teacher for five years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I first got out of college, I was an elementary school music teacher in New York City. Music. I don't know if I ever knew it was music. I think I may have forgotten that part. Yeah, I had been a jazz piano major, so I so taught, cool. uh, yeah, like the recorder and just elementary school, just basic. The triangle. All that stuff. Wait, yeah. do you don't, but you don't use music at all in your. Rarely. Occasionally at the comedy cellar, I'll sit down at the piano. They have a piano there. Um, yeah, but no, I don't. I kind of keep them separate. This is another reason you really have to see A Star is Born, by the way. <laughs> and you have to see in the theaters. Yeah. Because they're all live concerts. The live concerts are real live concerts. Wow. Um, and with, he taught himself how to play music and everything. With uh, Lady Gaga and um, Bradley guy. Cooper. Bradley yeah. Cooper, yeah. He also, sings, right? um, Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah. I Dave heard. Chappelle. Right, right, right. And Sam Elliott. 
Now, do you like it despite <laughs> every inclination in your body not to? Or you or... kind? It's funny. It's like it's so well done mm. that I totally forget about the politics. Okay. <laughs> and like I forget it's a work of art. Right. So when I read this review in the New Yorker that was like Bradley Cooper's the star in you know, Star Is Born is Bradley Cooper because right. it's like. He's the, has the most depth, and the camera will linger on him more. I was just like, no, he's just the deepest character. Right. That's just who he is, Jackson Maine. Okay. Like, I forgot that the director had directed it, had co-written it. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. I feel a little conflicted about it. I, it not quite to the level of, of conflict that I feel when I watch a Clint Eastwood-directed film, because right. I love the movies he directs. Yeah. And his politics can be a little problematic. Sure. But I love his movies. I like when he talks to chairs. <laughs> That's really funny. You said that Sam Alkoff, who's a producer at Democracy Now!, who's been on the show, I told him I felt weird about about loving Clint Eastwood's films because of his politics. He's like, you should feel weird about loving someone who talks to chairs. That's true, too. So, yeah. there's that, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. that's that. Yeah, that's that. Um, talk this, to the chair. Talk to the chair, because the hand don't <laughs> That's just that. Maybe that's yeah. it. Maybe that's yeah. the pod name. That could be it, yeah. Do you uh, have rules with your wife, speaking of rubric, about like what you can talk about, what you can't talk about? On stage or just in general? <laughs> in <laughs> At general. At the dinner table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she gives me like uh, body language that yeah. indicates <laughs> yeah. I, I should stop talking. Right. Um, as far as in my comedy, yeah, like, I mean, I definitely have a sense of, like, you know, like, I, I run things by right. her if, if I feel it's too personal or something that might kind of, uh, you know, just cross a line in terms of her personal privacy. But she's pretty open about, like, yeah, she'll, you know, like, on the, on the special, uh, I do a bit about being past my sexual right. prime. Uh and how my you know my wife is younger than I right. am. she's in she's in her sexual prime and I'm peaking not. yes yes so I'm kind of like Shaquille O'Neal when he played for the Celtics <laughs> um, and how his teammates were probably like uh, you know don't don't you even do you have any passion for the game do you care right and he's like no guys I love you it's just you know I'm, I'm a little older now right it takes me a little longer to warm up maybe, right maybe if you could just be a little patient right um, stop putting on so much pressure yeah and yeah taking it personally that's right yeah you know and. Uh, just basically like that type of thing I would have to just you know run it by my wife first and right. you know because I, I mean I usually like I said she signs off on everything right. it's not like she's uh, a prude about any topic so and what do you guys do to celebrate your anniversary we watch my special um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what no actually we were we were I'm not far off we were out in LA because I was doing promotion for the special I was doing like Conan and I had done Mark Maron's podcast oh, yeah. so it was like a whole week of right. packed with promotion so like to her credit she you know she slogged through that whole right. thing but then luckily the week culminated with a few days in Santa Barbara. So that was nice. like we went to dinner. We were right on the water. Right. So it was kind of like a reward for uh, yeah. putting up with me. For You're like, you get some scallops as a reward. And <laughs> yeah. if I talk too much, I'll read your body language appropriately right, and yeah. shut up. That's right. You had a bunch of... I ordered Spanakopita for two. I was going to say, yeah. A bunch of feta covered, feta <laughs> yeah. drenched appetizers. Absolutely. And what does she do? She's an artist and she's also uh, like a psychic medium. She was, She's into mediumship and stuff oh, like that. I should, we should have her on. I'd love that. Yeah, yeah. Does she do podcasts? Yeah, yeah. She, we should have her on. She, uh, she's political, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. We could do. She's got to be. Yeah, she's got to be. She was at the Bernie rally. That's that... what I thought. Yeah, I remember yeah. when I ran into you, I remember seeing her. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was there. Yeah. And where'd you guys meet? My best friend, Hollis James, with whom I did the uh, the web series Teacher's Lounge and who I actually started in comedy with. Uh, Hollis was DJing at Beauty Bar down on 14th and uh, he met her first like with a, a couple of friends she was with and uh, he said I met this this girl that I think you would like and I was kind of skeptical and but I went down the next week and uh, yeah we just hit it off immediately did she tell Hollis was she was she like you are going to find me my match you <laughs> I predict that you will right. find me my soulmate <laughs> I Maybe. like the idea of Hollis like creating the master uh, courtship playlist. The playlist, yes. <laughs> and so you've got the DJ in your back pocket, and he's just like That's true. putting on the right. He set tracks. the mood. Yeah. yeah, took took it into the second gear if we needed a little push. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Ted. This is really fun. My I'm pleasure, really glad guys. we did this. Yeah, yeah you should yeah. come back. Thanks for listening to the Katie Helper Show. Make sure you check out Ted Alexandro's website, tedalexandro.com. And the podcast he mentions, A Little Bit Me, is now available everywhere you find your podcasts. Make sure you become Patreon supporters of The Katie Helper Show, patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show, where you get to hear extra interviews. Again, I'll be doing three live events. I will be interviewing Stefan Liebich at Star Bar in Brooklyn Friday, February 8th, 6 p.m. I will be interviewing Jeff Helper at McNally Jackson at 7 p.m. on Saturday, February 9th. And I will be on a panel following a play by Dennis Trainer, February 10th at 3 p.m. at Dixon Place. These events are pinned to my Twitter. The first two are free, and the third one, the Dennis Trainer one, is ticketed, so make sure you buy tickets. The Katie Helper Show is edited by Ted Reedy. Our music is by the band Cordova. Mm-hmm.